0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Psychology Unbound podcast, formerly the Wellness Code podcast. I'm your host Ines Poundrich. I want to thank you all for tuning in and joining me today for a brand new episode with Dr. Nicole Hyatt, founder and executive director of Center of Perinatal Excellence. I reached out to Dr. Hyatt to talk about how she established COPE and to ask about emotional and mental health problems in the pre- and postnatal periods. Here is our conversation. Well, hello, Dr. Hyatt, and welcome, and thank you for joining me on the Wellness Code podcast. So we are here today to talk about the emotional challenges of becoming a parent. Um, I became increasingly interested in this particularly sensitive, time period after having my own baby. But it wasn't until much later that I started learning about maternal emotional well-being. And since then, I've been much more interested and immersed in some of the research that's coming out. And I think this is a really, it's one of the most important conversations that we can have. So to start things off, Could you tell us a little bit about your background and your role as the founder and
1: executive
0: director of COPE?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks for having me on today. Uh, So yeah, my background, I'm a doctor of psychology, clinical psychology specifically, and there I specialized in perinatal mental health. So that relates to um, all aspects of emotional and mental health around the time of having a baby. Um Back when I did my thesis, I did my um, area of research was really focusing on looking at effective treatments for postnatal depression in particular. And uh, following that I worked at um, I actually worked in marketing and advertising, focusing on health messaging uh, for a number of years. Before then starting up at Beyond Blue, when Beyond Blue was only a couple of months old and no one had heard of it. Um, There I managed Beyond Blue's national advertising campaigns as well as um, the world's first largest screening study to identify rates of um, depression in women in pregnancy and in the postnatal period. And following that, I could really see that there was a a real targeted need to um, have a dedicated focus on this area. Uh, I noticed that a lot of people wouldn't... People see the time of having a baby and the challenges are quite unique and don't necessarily identify with mental health problems that might be experienced at other times of life and the context is very different and that's what really led me to establish COPE in 2013 to give a really dedicated focus on emotional and mental health and in particular looking at the unique challenges that expectant, hopeful new and expectant parents can face Along that journey, because we know it really impacts on their emotional health and well-being, and their likelihood and risk of developing a mental health problem, um, often for the very first time in their lives, when around the time of having a baby.
0: I had a brief look at the um, sort of the history and the timeline of Cope, and one of the questions I had uh, was surrounding this decision-making process to have COPE specifically and why focus on this super sensitive time period, which is conception and the first year of life. And I thought, well, this is particularly interesting because we really, on a global level or even national or community level, um, this conversation doesn't get as much um, attention as it should. So I'm just wondering how um, how you. I feel that you advocated for that specifically, and if we could talk about just a little bit more why this time period is so sensitive and so
1: important. Yeah. So um, because there's so many challenges and changes, you know, every aspect of your life is going to change when you have a baby. Uh, for women uh, there's the physical changes, the emotional changes, the priorities in your life, the impacts on your relationships, the impacts on your finances. Everything is going to change and it's not just a change for a week, it's a change for a long, t- uh, long period of time. Uh, it's also changes to your priorities and your identity. Um, so with all this change and adaption, uh, some people, For some people, that transition is fairly smooth and straightforward. For other people, the road to becoming a parent is filled with num- a number of challenges that they never expected or anticipated. So right back at the beginning, for example, many couples might struggle with becoming pregnant in the first place and having to cope with uh, infertility, infertility treatments and um, pregnancy loss which may be come with infertility treatments or occur um, either early in pregnancy or later in pregnancy um, people respond very different to pregnancy some people glow and look gorgeous and uh, feel you know look look spectacular others really struggle with major morning sickness or um, uncomfortable about the way their bodies feel and how they feel about themselves growing into this pregnancy. Uh, The birth is another example, Uh, we all often go into birth with great hopes that it's going to be a time where it's lovely meditation and candles and a wonderful birthing experience, but often we know that doesn't happen and up to one in four or five um, couples will experience a traumatic birth and that can then lead to longer term emotional and mental health challenges and adjustments including post-traumatic stress disorder for example. Um, and then in the postnatal period, again, gee, there's a lot of adjustments there physically, your body, the changes to your body, um, breastfeeding, um, how you feel about the gender of your baby that you're, that yeah. um, comes along. Um, some people find it very, um, you know, feel very attached to their babies. Others don't experience that um, immediate bonding with their baby. There are so many different challenges that can arise and, Often we're not really talking about those challenges as a society and um, as a result of that, when someone is um, not experiencing what they hoped for or expected, they often are left feeling like they're the only ones who are feeling or going through their experience, they can feel very alone. So it's really important that we talk about these different challenges and how common they can be, uh, let people remind people that they're not alone. And of course, the impacts of all these changes and challenges has a dramatic impact on the likelihood of developing conditions like anxiety or depression, both during pregnancy and in the postnatal period. So we've got to be very mindful and aware about what those signs and symptoms are and ensure that we're getting help early. Because quite often we know that up to, from our own research at COPE, Up to 74% of women who experienced anxiety and depression either during their pregnancy or in the year after having their baby did not seek help until they reached the point that they could no longer cope. And um, so we've missed an opportunity for early intervention or getting help early, but it's rather people are waiting until they're getting to crisis point. And by doing that, um, the condition has often developed or become much more severe the impacts on the condition, of the condition, on their life, their relationships, their ability to bond and attach with the baby can all be compromised. So it's very important, just like we do routine blood tests and ultrasounds to identify if anything's wrong um, or anything needs to be managed or treated physically, we also need to be really monitoring emotional and mental health um, because we know that up to one in ten women will develop depression in pregnancy, This will increase to one in seven in the postnatal period and up to one in five women will experience an anxiety condition both during pregnancy and in the postnatal period. So these are very common and many people are going through this, but often they're not aware and don't seek help early. What are some of the signs
0: that we could better recognise within ourselves that hey, actually, I think I need support. I think I need help. I don't think this is um, something that I should be dealing with on my own and how we can do a better job of recognizing that because as a new mom, thinking back on it, I spent a lot of time reading about, you know, how to have babies sleep and um, what, it, you know, about the developmental stages. I honestly don't recall learning or reading about much about the mother's well-being and emotional health.
1: Yes, that's right. And um, you're absolutely right. Because there are so many changes on so many levels, it's very easy to put things down or attribute um, signs and symptoms to other factors. So, for example, in pregnancy, it's very common that people think, oh, it's just hormones. It's just the hormones that are making me very emotional or really easily upset or very sensitive. Um, it's just the sleep deprivation because I've had an unsettled baby. I haven't had sleep. So it's um, it's very easy to attribute things to the context. But really the golden rule that I would use here is um, if you're um, finding it, you know, constantly feeling that, either for example in relation to um, depression if you're feeling really sad or down or finding it difficult to get through the day and feeling this on most days generally we would say for seven days or more you're feeling sad or down or having a lack of interest or pleasure in life or not being able to enjoy life with your new baby or um, when you're expecting a baby and also being um, impacting on other things so not having any motivation or energy, not enjoying things that you used to do. Um, these can be common signs of depression, for example. Uh, so if you're feeling like that over seven days or more, that could be an, an early indicator that you might be experiencing depression either during the pregnancy or the postnatal period. And similarly with anxiety, we know what it's like to feel you know, nervous before doing a presentation or nervous before um, we're put into a stressful situation. But some people feeling, are feeling those ongoing feelings of worry or apprehension on an ongoing basis and it's not necessarily related to an external factor or an external stressful event. So that could be a sign of an anxiety condition. So it's really important to really monitor how you're travelling if you've noticed changes in yourself or even in someone else um, and be aware of these common signs and symptoms Um, and you know really check it out early because it's the natural tendency is just to brush it off and say it's just this or it's just that it's just sleep deprivation it's just hormones it's just whatever Um, but as a result of doing that we don't have the opportunity to identify uh, underlying condition in its own right Um, and it's very true with these conditions that you the faster you get help the faster you can recover just like treating um, you know, just, uh, diabetes when its the blood sugar levels are low, rather than waiting until it's become at a point that is critical, it's much easier and the range of treatments um, is much easier when you're getting to it early. The same applies for anxiety and depression. If we identify the conditions early, and there's even a lot of good self-help strategies, for example, if you're experiencing very mild symptoms, rather than waiting to the point that it's really impacted on your ability to function from day to day, um, in which case you're going to require more intensive treatments and that can include medication if it's at a much more severe level. So early identification and early treatment um, or intervention is really, really important.
0: Yeah, and I think the impression that I got... um is that one of the sort of the values or the mission around co-op is is really on prevention and how to um,
1: access these services or help early on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we really want to empower expected new parents with information, um, because information is power when it comes to, uh, you know, you're going down this road that you've never been down before. And. You've got all these ideas about what things are supposed to be like based on lovely marketing and imagery, um, which isn't necessarily based on reality. So one of the resources that we really encourage expectant and new parents to sign up is to our um, Ready to Cope Guide. So this is a free weekly to fortnightly email guide that you can sign up to at any stage from six weeks into your pregnancy. Um, or at any other time through to the baby's first birthday, so the first year after having a baby. And it just provides you with really timely and relevant information and advice that's very specific to that stage in the perinatal period, wherever you're at in that journey towards um, coming up to birth or in the postnatal period, and making sure you have access to that information Um, and, you know, that knowledge and access to the information and services should you identify that you might be in need of additional support or treatments.
0: That's brilliant. Um, I did see that on the website and I'm so glad that you mentioned that just because listeners may want to have a look and check this out. One of the things that I think one of the barriers to receiving care or knowing about certain services is that there is a big gap between the information that's available and then um, consuming that information when it's most needed by the um, by the consumer. Whether it's you know a new parent or the family they're trying to offer support so in this way I see COPE as helping to bridge a gap between providing this information and then folks that need this information having this quick and easy access and it's really time sensitive as well so that's one of the things that I found about the the some of the programs and the services that COPE um, does offer so I'll make sure that that's something in the show notes as well, so that people can, um, have a direct access to, um, to all these wonderful resources, because you do take us through the um through the journey of sort of getting ready, um, having the baby, um, and then what that may look like once you do have the baby. So it really is a it's an emotional journey and that emotional health and well-being can fluctuate during pregnancy and post pregnancy. If I could ask what are some of the uh, big factors, both positive and negative, that could really impact on this um, on this journey and the way in which it can it can fluctuate. What are some of the big
1: factors? Yeah, so that's a a really good question, and this is why, um, as part of your routine maternity and postnatal care, you should be automatically asked by your health professional around two areas. One of those is what we call psychosocial risk factors. So what are the factors that we know increase the likelihood that you may develop a mental health problem, um, either during pregnancy in the postnatal period? and as well as that looking at the presence of common symptoms of anxiety and depression which as we've already discussed are the most common mental health conditions and identifying if they are present early. So when it comes to the risk factors, um, the most prominent risk factor or the major predictor would be having a personal history or even a family history of depression or anxiety in the past. So. If you're someone who's experienced episodes of depression in the past, it might have been in your mid to late teens or in your 20s. If you have got a personal history, um, that is a, a risk factor, and it doesn't necessarily mean you will relapse or have another episode when you're having a baby, but it does mean that you are at greater risk. So, as we talk about in the Ready to Cope guide, it's important to monitor how you're traveling on an ongoing basis. And sometimes I advise clients that it's useful to reflect on the last time you might have had an episode of depression or anxiety. Looking back, what were the very early signs that you probably put down to something else? Was it that you started worrying that something was going to go wrong or you started avoiding situations? Um, Did you start to feel a certain way? Just recapping and re-reflecting on your previous experience can be a really useful way of um, bringing those things to mind and increasing your awareness about those um, that experience should you ever find that you're re-experiencing those symptoms in the perinatal period, so during your pregnancy or the postnatal period. Other things that we know increase your likelihood um, are things like uh, your access to support. So that might be your quality of your relationship with your partner, your access to um, both practical and emotional support, that might be from your partner, but also family and friends, um, that is a strong protective factor. So the more support you have and the more you feel supported, um, that's likely to be an important protective factor. Alternatively, things like being in a, um, a family violence situation, um, in a relationship where uh, the person can be very controlling we know that the incidence of uh, family violence increases during pregnancy, and often um, a woman will experience her first ever experience of family violence in a pregnancy, as well as in the postnatal period. So the risk of family violence is greater, and this is another obviously impacts mm-hmm. on your emotional health and well being. Um, your own past experiences also can can. Um, influence the past can influence the present when it comes to emotional and health and well-being because this is a vulnerable time so if you've experienced for example um, a, um, a poor relationship with your own mother it's natural when you have a baby that you you don't really have any reference points so often you will reflect on your own upbringing or your own relationship with your own mother and if that wasn't a good experience it can make you feeling leave you feeling more vulnerable Um, as you reflect on maybe that negative experience and that negative impact on your upbringing and that can increase your vulnerability. Similarly, if you've had um, an experience of um, abuse, that might be verbal, physical or sexual abuse in the past, again the vulnerability around the perinatal period can, um, can lead those feelings to surface at this time. Um, particularly sexual abuse when, you know, the whole experience of giving birth and and pregnancy and examinations can be very confronting. Um, So often for people who've had those experiences of abuse, this can be a particularly challenging time and increase that level of vulnerability. Things like um, alcohol and drug use, something we obviously know we should be um, eliminating personal use of alcohol when pregnant and um, also breastfeeding. But, you know, having a history of alcohol or drug problems is also a major risk factor. So these things we know um, combine to place people at greater risk or protect them depending on the risk factor. And for these reasons, you know, if you're having good quality antenatal and postnatal care your health professional should be asking about these things to give you a really good idea about well am I someone at risk and these are the sort of things we also do cover in the ready to cope guide just so that you can have that opportunity to reflect and and consider well do I have any risk factors and is there anything I can do anything about some of the things you can't change you can't change your personal history of mental health problems but there are things that you can do like we described of reflecting on the early signs and getting onto it early should you notice changes in yourself or someone else. Uh, Other things we encourage in the Ready to Cope Guide include things like building your support networks, building your village um, and thinking about that in pregnancy and early in the postnatal period because we know that's a protective factor. Um, People aren't going to just suddenly emerge out of nowhere um, and having a baby can be a very, very isolating time so we need to think about being proactive and what we can do to, to develop our village of support, which then um, prevents or supports us from, um, you know, de- coping with the low periods and feeling like we have that support network to protect us against conditions yeah. like anxiety and depression.
0: Yeah, wow, thank you so much for that comprehensive um Overview and there's so many questions that I could ask, but there are two specific ones that um, I'll, I'll focus on. The first one is, and you've mentioned this a little bit, how mood and our emotional well-being during this time period can impact on secure attachment or helping us cultivate um, attachment and bonding with with our with our baby and so how does mood and emotional well-being impact on that i know there's some really amazing research that's coming out where they're looking at um, maternal mood and how that could impact on the um, brain development uh, both during pregnancy and after so i'm just wondering whether you could comment on that just a little bit
1: yeah absolutely so if someone is experiencing um depression particularly for example um, their ability to get to get any joy or pleasure out of anything is really inhibited so um, everything's just so hard getting through the day is so hard they don't feel anything they don't experience um, often people describe themselves as feeling numb. Um, they want to withdraw because they're getting nothing back they've got no energy to put out there to get anything back. So part of depression, the nature of the condition itself, leads people to retreat into themselves and um, as a result of that, you know, not having the energy, um, this impacts on their ability to um, obviously respond and connect with their baby as well. So um, a mother who is depressed is likely to have less eye contact with the baby. They're not getting anything out of the baby. They might feel nothing towards the baby. And I also just want to make the point that sometimes a baby is born and people are expecting this wonderful instant falling in love with the baby. And for some people that just doesn't happen. Um, and in those, con- those situations, you know, rest assured, with time um, often that, that attachment does develop. And there's lots of strategies that you can do, just things like baby massage um, and, you know, time with the baby and engaging with the baby. Just, you know, I always think it's important to keep in mind that some relationships, like life in general, some relationships take more time to develop. And that can certainly also be the case uh, with someone who might not feel that instant warmth and love um, for their baby give it time and there's great things that you can do to really increase that bonding attachment with the baby. But for a mum who is um, depressed and not able to get any joy out of anything, this will also include getting joy out of the baby, not having energy, everything feels like such a chore. So there is often as a result of the depression, less engagement, less interaction, less proactive um, activity from the mother to stimulate the baby. And of course we know that babies grow and develop part of their infant development and their brain and neurodevelopment is around stimulation. And that includes the stimulation, the eye contact, the noises from the mother, the, the talk from the mother and or the father. These are very th- important things to stimulate that neurodevelopment in the baby as well as um, increase the attachment between the mother and the father and the baby. So if a woman is very depressed, her ability to engage in that and um, her energy to do that is going to be compromised. So this is why it's really important, again, to identify and treat these conditions early so that you are better, so that you're well to be able to then give out and look after and also build that secure stimulation and attachment uh, with the baby. But that's very, very difficult if you are uh, very anxious or depressed.
0: Yeah, and it does have, um, it could potentially have long-lasting, um, impactful consequences for both um, the child and from for, for the mom as, as well.
1: Yes, so there has been um, research that shows the, the significant impacts in the, the immediate term, the mid, and right through, I mean, if the depression goes on for a longer period of time, we also see impacts in um, even those children as children and adolescents, and even into adulthood. Um, but the important thing, I suppose, to remember is also um, getting help and rebuilding those relationships can be very not only preventative, but can also undo those negative effects as well. So it's never too late um, to be proactive about getting that help, um, and um, it can have a very positive. Um, immediate and long-term effect. But long ongoing untreated illness um, has really significant impacts not only for the mother as we've discussed but as you know also for the baby and let's not also forget about the partners. We know that a, a father for example is 50 percent more likely to develop depression himself um, if the woman is, is depressed. So we know it impacts on the ability of the woman for her own well-being but also um, on the broader family unit. so the whole the whole family is really affected.
0: Yeah, and that's um, a few times during this conversation you have mentioned the role of the father or the partner, and I love that because it's a crucial element in the relationship. and again, it's something that we really don't talk about a whole lot. But if we look at developmental science and if we look at some of the research and folks such as yourself who, who feel extremely passionate about this work, over and over again, what I hear is the importance that the father plays in supporting the mother and then through that supporting the child and um, and also how this new journey being a parent impacts on them as well, on the, on, on the partner. And it's something I feel like that this is something we need to talk about more to really harness the almost like the, the positive energy or the power that is that is there that could be developed and cultivated again so that, that the family unit could be supported so thank you so much for shining a light on that and I think on the cop website as well people will definitely find um, some really good resources on that as well
1: yes. I have uh, just mentioned there that we uh, the ready to cope guide that um, is available for women to sign up to um, it's also available for dads so dads get their own special set of messages around the unique adjustments that they will experience obviously um, quite often for fathers the reality of becoming a parent doesn't really hit until the baby's born whereas the woman has had time to Um, sort of adjust to psychologically and emotionally adjust because there's changes to her body. She can feel the baby. She's connected to the baby. Um, Whereas the father, the reality often doesn't come until the baby's born. So the Ready to Cope for Father's Guide is really about getting fathers access to that information to get them thinking about things that aren't really real at that point in the pregnancy but also adjusting through and supporting the father in their role um, both as a as a father but also as a partner um, in the postnatal period. So I'd really encourage expectant and new fathers to also sign up to receive the um, men's version of Ready to Cope. This may take us off track a little
0: bit but I have to ask um, the importance of Fathers um, and our partners having that time off initially be helpful just to take a minute or two to talk about fathers having the space and time as well to bond with the baby or having that parental leave to stay with the family. I mean, how important is that?
1: Look, it is really important. I think the other thing we need to acknowledge is, um, as you mentioned, the role of fathers and the expectations of fathers is very different today than what um, their role models would have been in terms of what their fathers would have done. So, you know, when growing up, um, my father was much more the breadwinner and mother was more likely to to be the main caregiver of the children, Um, whereas fathers today, there is the expectation that it's a lot more um, 50-50 or equal, everyone's doing everything. Um, and for dads that's without that previous role modelling or experience, it's, it's a very different role and um, a, a different world when it comes to, to fathering in um, the current millennium compared to what it was in the past. So a lot has changed and continues to change in terms of the expectations um, of fathers. We also do at COPE, we work with um, an organisation Transitioning Well and WorkSafe at Victoria around looking at programs for organisations. Um, we know that a lot of organisations are realising that there's a, ne- a strong need to um, be more receptive and supportive of parents who are working. Um, there's a lot more fin- financial pressure for parents to be often both working um, and that adjusting to par- with parenting and that interface between parenting and work is a constant juggle. And uh, I'd encourage people if they want to look at um, any, we've got a small series on our website called The Mum Drum, or you can go to themumdrum.org, mumdrum.org, mumdrum.org um, where we have a series of interviews with people talking about their experiences with becoming a parent. And we have a number of interviews there with people talking about their transition back to work. But it is uh, common, certainly in Australia, that a lot of people do not realise their entitlements Um, when going back to work, a lot of fathers are not taking the parental leave that they are entitled to. They're often not even aware of it and often it's not even widely promoted in the organisations. So it's really important um, for fathers as well as for mothers um, to have that discussion in the pregnancy um, or early in the pregnancy with their managers, their human resources within their organisation about what their entitlements actually are. And having that conversation with their managers and um, employers around what, what sort of parenting journey and how do they feel that working and family life and, and working life will come together and what that looks like. Because not having the conversation can limit your options and um, there's a lot of change and development in this space. But, yeah, it is true that a lot of fathers still to this day do not take their entitled leave that they're, um, which they can access. The changing roles of parents and more parents working, organisations are becoming increasingly aware about their need to be supportive. uh, Look at flexibility in the workplace. Look at how they can work together with the parent um, as an employee as well as the employer to really make this a win-win situation. Um, You know the cost of losing losing staff um, to because the uh, the organisation is not flexible. Um, or not accommodating and, um, you know, respecting the needs of new parents, we know that as as well can lead to increased fatigue or accidents in the workplace. So organisations are really becoming increasingly aware of the importance and their responsibility to support support new parents. And I think you'll find that this is an ongoing area of focus. And there's a lot of A lot of onus on organisations and pressure on organisations to really review how they are, you know, supporting expectant new parents in their organisations.
0: Yeah, and I suppose the only way we're going to change the culture around this is by having these conversations, is by have asking these questions, and um, saying that there is a need for this. Another follow up question I had, and that has to do with um, self care Mm -hmm. versus community
1: care yeah look so self-care is really um i think it's very important to be mindful of when a baby comes along a baby is so vulnerable it's so it relies on you for absolutely everything and as a parent your focus is on the needs of the baby and putting the needs of the baby first all the time um so it's very it's very easy to um negate our own needs and you know we always and as parents right to this day you know i've got teenagers you still put everyone else's needs before yours. Um, but, uh, you know, an expression often used is it's important as to fix your own oxygen mask before you um, assist children. So if you're on an aeroplane, for example, we need to look after ourselves because if we deplete ourselves, we'll get to the point that we can't look after anyone. But it's just a natural thing that we always put everyone else's needs first and put ours at the end. So it's it's something I think is very important that we... we be, become mindful of and monitor our own time and that we do have opportunities that we give ourselves to rest and recover and and do things that make us feel like ourselves whether that's going and having a coffee with a friend without a baby to have a life you know just have that connection and have that opportunity for yourself and it's very easy to forget about that and just put everyone else's needs first. Uh, When it comes to community care, obviously there's care by your care provider, whether that's your midwife or maternal and child health nurse or your GP. But one of the things that we at COPE believe is really important is the capacity for community care and community support. And that's why we've teamed up with Mama Tribe, um, which is a national organisation where people can connect with other mothers um, who are going through similar experiences of becoming parents. Um, I certainly coming from a different state um, in Australia when I um, had from where I had my children I found parenting to be very isolating. Um, I worked right up through to my pregnancy suddenly I was at home in a community I only knew the cafes on on the weekend um, and suddenly it was quite a you know it can be a very lonely experience. So this is why uh, we really encourage parents to sign up to Mama Tribe at mummatribe.com um, and connect with other mothers in their area and develop a, it's like building that village. Um, and then you connect with people, you can talk online uh, via specific Facebook groups, but also we have things like Mama Meetups where you get to meet with other mums um, and just have that connection um, mothers' groups can be very, very important um, in the early days and weeks after having a baby and sometimes people stay with their mothers' groups for very long periods of time. But sometimes those mothers' groups don't connect or work for you or it's important you yeah. have other options as well. So we'd really encourage people to leverage that community caregiving and that community support uh, by signing up to Mama Tribe. Um, And there's father's groups as well, Um, you can look in your area, but it really is about um, embracing that community capacity to provide that support at a time that can be not only vulnerable for all the reasons we've discussed today, but can also be very isolating. And we know that isolation can really have a negative impact and compound on the vulnerabilities and emotional health challenges. So being connected and being supported is absolutely critical
0: with the time that, that we have left i just have to ask one last question mm-hmm. um, how to look after our mental and emotional well-being but also how to cope with some of the strong emotions such as such as guilt mm-hmm. and any last um, any any last minute um, tips for um, parenting solo
1: mm-hmm. yeah look so the number one piece of advice i I would recommend is really being aware of and mindful of your expectations. Often our experience of parenting, our experience of things like guilt is because we're putting expectations on ourselves um, or of the experience we're expecting that we're going to have that might not be based on reality. It might not actually be credible. It might not be realistic. But if we've got all these expectations which are not based in reality, we're really setting ourselves up um, to be in a really um, to be more vulnerable and to experience disappointment and to experience feelings of failure but that's because we're putting ourselves under enormous pressure by having often unrealistic expectations in the first place so that's something that I would really encourage people to be really mindful of as early as possible and right through the journey of becoming a parent be mindful of what your expectations are. Are they credible and are they realistic? Mm. Um, so, you know, rather than turning away from the person in the cafe whose um, baby is crying and thinking that's not going to happen to me, mm-hmm. it could happen to you and how would I deal with that? And is my mind open that I might have a baby who um, is unsettled? And But quite often we all have this projection about what we think and what we idealise motherhood to be and it's not actually based on reality. So I'd really encourage people, and this is what we talk about a lot in the Ready to Cope Guide, being really mindful of your expectations. um, And um, because by not doing that, you can actually be setting yourself up for um, feelings of great disappointment, feelings of failure, putting extra pressure on yourself, increasing your rates of anxiety. So you really, and it is in your control. So, um, that would be my number one piece of advice is around being mindful um, around expectations. Um, for those who are going solo, um, again, here, I think it's um, absolutely critically important to look at the area around building your village, um, having that connection, having other parents Um, around to support you and being proactive about that is even more important people are not just going to come out of thin air when your baby arrives Um, so being proactive and thinking ahead in terms of building your support village is especially important uh, for those who are um, going solo on the journey to becoming a parent there's a
0: lot that I could identify with and I'm sure many other parents will too especially about expectations Um, And having the flexibility, being flexible enough to um, be accepting of things that uh, things can change, things won't always look the way we imagine them to be. So, being mindful and flexible around that, um, I suppose, can potentially can then have a positive impact on the circumstances in those situations. You know, when you are faced with challenges. Your ability to cope with
1: those challenges would would be much much greater. Mm-hmm. And you're being mindful that you know you're never alone, there's there's over five hundred and something pages on the website about all different types of challenges that people feel or experience. But often because people are not talking about them openly, because they might be worried about how other people might judge them, they might be worried that they um it indicates that they're not a good parent. They're they're challenges that are common and just because they're not spoken about it doesn't mean that they're not common challenges and just knowing that and going to the website and finding that out number one makes you realise that you're not alone and that in itself is really comforting um, as well as being able to access helpful tips and strategies for the range of different challenges that might come along with
0: the website and some of the social media outlets
1: can we access these resources if you could just tell us um the website and some of the social media handles as well yes yeah, so um if you go to the website it's uh, cope.org.au um, and that's really your one stop shop around all the different challenges and things that we've discussed today. Uh, you can sign up from the website or go straight to readytocope.org.au to sign up for our emotional and health and well-being guide throughout pregnancy and the first year. Uh, we also have our Instagram page uh, cope.org.au or our Facebook is cope.org um, and also we have um, Twitter as well if you want to get the, the daily feeds on different topics. Um, so, yeah, we'd really encourage people to uh, go to the website and follow us on social media and, of course, connecting with through um, the Mama Tribe is a great way to connect with people and meet like-minded mums um, and feel supported throughout your journey into pregnancy and the first year of parenthood and years after.
0: Dr. Hyatt, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. I learned a lot. There are also resources and information um, for um, health professionals as well on the website.
1: Yes. So um, COPE is a developer of the Australian Clinical Practice Guidelines. So these are uh, really the, the best practice when it comes to providing screening and antenatal and postnatal care. So certainly there's whole sections on the website specifically for health professionals. We have online training programs for health professionals. We have fact sheets, resources, the guidelines themselves, screening tools. So there is a, a wealth of information uh, also for health professionals as well as um, expectant and new parents. Dr
0: Hyatt, I realised that we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining me. It was a meaningful and an important conversation to have. And I just wanted to say thank you for, for the work that you've been doing. And thank you so much for joining me on this episode today. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about the topics and resources we discussed in this episode, please visit cope.org.au. For show notes, please visit inespancec.com. Thanks for listening.